On Love is Blind and Reality TV, BG, November 2nd, 2022. Spoiler alert, Love is Blind. Max up to Season 3, Episode 8 or 9, but also possibly other preceding episodes and seasons. Phew. That was a really intense day. I closed all the drawbridges. Well, except the laptop drawbridge, I guess, but it's only allowed to access Medium and Netflix. I may lower my phone bridge later to talk to Mommy, but she says she's working late, so I'm pretty sure I can take my time. Damn, what a day. Gail called me yesterday, and for once I didn't pick up in less than a nanosecond because I had my phone turned off. Me. I'm feeling ambivalent about going to dance. I feel like I should because it's been a while and Richard isn't in town, but also, I left the house yesterday and today I don't feel like it. Mommy, without a second hesitation, don't go. Stay at home. Meditate. Write. I have the best fairy godmother in the universe. I cooked an elaborate tomato sauce for myself, mostly from scratch, with eggplant and mushrooms. Usually I cook for mommy, but I've been instructed to avoid carbohydrates, and she has this strange thing against fungus and too many dots. So I'll eat the pasta by myself and save my steak dinners for mommy. I thought about all that while I cooked. I thought about Etienne, too, and how infrequently I get to cook for him. I don't actually know where he is right now. A faraway part of my heart wants to panic about that. But I'm pretty sure he still loves me the same way that I still love him. Yeah, thinking about him brings it all back. That handsome frickin' nomad boyfriend of mine. A few weeks ago he said he'd be here in early November. It's November 2nd, though, and I think he'd have told me if he'd arrived. I think so. I should find out if he has a plane ticket. I think I'm playing it cool, though, after casually mentioning that he could meet my mom if he was around next week, and also casually volunteering myself to go northern Quebec and meet his grandparents. I feel like he might have thought that was a bit much. Oh well, all of my weekends have filled up by now anyway, so if, even if he wants me to go, it's too late. Speaking of playing games and not just communicating clearly, I've been watching Love is Blind. I'm frickin' hooked. Oh my god, that show is amazing. For those of you who don't feel like melting your brains and watching every single episode yourselves, I've decided to sum up the most interesting parts for you. Okay, so basically, the concept of the show is, can you get two strangers to go from zero to Walter one month after meeting each other, while forcing them to plan a wedding, meet the family, and hang out with all of their exes, and have everything they do get recorded? Basically, it's like a relationship on speed dial. Okay, the Lachaise wouldn't build it that way. That's Nick and Jessica, I think. I didn't really know much about them until watching this show. Oh no, I just googled it. Apparently I spelled Lachey right, but his wife is Vanessa, not Jessica. Except apparently Jessica Simpson is his ex. Could I have subconsciously known that and mixed them together? I actively try to avoid celebrity gossip, but I think now that I've discovered reality TV, I'm like, if you can't lick them, join them. I sometimes wonder if Nick and Vanessa believe the crazy things they're saying, or if the whole orchestrated gentle manipulation of people's lives is completely understood by them. I mean, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. The people go on the show willingly. But if they really wanted to test whether love was blind, they'd have to structure the show a lot differently. Whatever. I love it for exactly what it is. The chance to be the fly on the wall of a bunch of random people's relationships. Witness to vulnerability and virtue as well as hypocrisy and temper tantrums. 
At the beginning of the show, you only really hear from the people who make it out to the real world, or at least the honeymoon version of the real world in Malibu. So it's funny, because every now and then a camera angle will necessarily capture a random face not saying anything, and you're like, who's that? And then you realize that it's one of the people who didn't fall in love sight and scene. I guess that get that they get ser- unceremoniously kicked to the curb after the first ten days. I don't get why the producers don't want to show us that part. It would be so interesting. Well, I do understand, though. It would kind of tarnish the whole premise of the show. I mean, how else would they get people to sign up for this crazy idea? Legit, this is approximately what one of the people on the show said in an initial interview. I decided to come here to find my future spouse because I watched the show and I realized other people have found love this way. Um, so far after two seasons, with 30 couples, there have been, by my last count, a bunch of pre-wedding breakups, several no's at the altar, two sustained marriages, and like three divorces. That's like negative odds. I think people can't do math. So yeah, there's so much footage I really wish they'd show us. They're holding out. At the end of the day, I can't really make fun of the people on the show. I mean, they're nuts to go on the show, of course. That's a given. But they're real people with real hopes and dreams. Some of them are really good people, too. Sadly, the really good people tend to get paired with the super assholes, which I guess just shows how the show isn't too far from real life. That's why we watch we viewers. Not because we wonder whether or not love is blind, but simply, what is love and what makes marriage work? Or, how absolutely crazy can people be while we eat popcorn? Oh, the questions. Like, also, why can't they break up before the wedding and save each other the humiliation, not to mention the cost of the wedding and aggravation to all the guests? It has to be something contractual. It must be. Because obviously the most suspenseful part of the show is when they're at the altar and it's like, will they or won't they? Also, who pays for the wedding and for the ridiculously fancy last suppers where they wax romantic and try to get each other to say whether or not they'll be saying I do? Because they don't know yet whether their fiancé actually wants to marry them or not. Because that's normal. One thing that really irritates me is that they don't show the falling in love part. They just give us a few bland conversations and pivotal open-up moments, like what's-her-name's parents dying. That's what hooked Cole. Poor, adorable, astonishingly articulate, emotionally sensitive Cole. I hope to God one of the two of them says no. November 4th, 2022. It's almost Shabbos. At first I decided I wouldn't have any weed, and then I was like, I will definitely have weed. I love Shabbos. I'm going to share it with my mother next week. I'm really excited about that. It's her Shabbos, after all. The one she taught me. But it's evolved since I took it over as an adult, and I think she'll like what it has become. For the last few weeks I've managed to start Shabbos early in the day on Friday, even on Thursday night. That's no small feat, let me tell you. And I don't think I can realistically do it all the time. But it's been happening as if by magic for a few weeks in a row. Today I only let two people across my drawbridges, a super boss bitch anyway. Believe me, that took some doing. In a world of make the plan, then confirm 20 million times and change it at the last minute, I am expecting people to make a plan and stick to it. Mostly so that I don't have to check my email and face a thousand other people in the courtyard of my happiness palace. My boundaries held. I had both meetings without accidentally letting anybody else into my palace, and I've extended both of them an offer. We'll see what they do now. My wallet wants them to say yes for sure, but my soul knows it will happen if it's supposed to happen. Back in April, I put a deposit down on a fairly hefty bit of vacation for the winter, hoping I would be able to afford it. I can almost afford it. 
Actually, I can afford it for real, but I'm trying to also save and allow for a what-if plan that doesn't involve me being able to work for the rest of my life. Anyway, if these two people say yes, it will mean I can afford it all, the savings, the vacation, and the retirement. My modest yearly goal for that, anyway. Life is one big game of Monopoly, isn't it? It's terribly unfair, too, because only some of us are taught the rules and given the means and training in order to play it. I was listening to my brothers at our last family reunion, and I thought, so this is what they talk about. Girls sit around wondering how to get the men to love us, while the men talk about how to turn their money into more money. Then I thought, only some of the men have the luxury. You have to have enough money to gamble, first of all. Next, you need to know how. That's the truly fucked up thing about capitalism. A dollar bill is a dollar bill, but we're born into a game of Monopoly and only some of us know the rules. Also, most of us are born with like $2 bills, while like three people get all the $500 bills and millions of others don't even have pennies. But with a complacent middle class like me, we can buffer the have far too muches from the have absolutely nothings. I'm lucky and I'm privileged. I try to be good, too. It's all I can do, isn't it? I mean, I suppose I could become a monk. But that's kind of what I'm doing, isn't it? I'm trying to live in service to the universe, to be the best I can be, and the kindest and the bravest and the most compassionate. I want to be a good human. I don't need name-brand clothes. I just want to be able to afford good cheese and a trip to the ocean. I can't bear to watch the rest of episode 9, or 8, I'm not sure. Whichever one where Zeneb becomes a monster to Cole. I mean, she's already been a monster to him, but this one seriously takes the cake. He's all cute and adorable, cooking this dinner for her. Then she walks in the door and starts criticizing absolutely everything he was doing. Like, everything. And I mean, fine. He's a bit messy. That would drive me crazy, too. But apart from that, he's just playful and young. So if you don't want that, don't marry him. But she does this thing where he tries to tell her she's hurt his feelings, which I mean, duh. She was a complete jerk face. But she becomes the most defensivist of the defensivers and super fucking aggressive to boot. What did I do, she snarls nastily. Why would you feel like that? What did I do exactly, huh? Waits for him to answer. I would never do that. I feel sorry for Cole watching it, because he just walks right into her mind traps. He says a feeling, she attacks him for it, then he clarifies the feeling, while the whole time she is aggressively interrogating him until she can pin him down and say, I would never do that. The worst part is at the end, when he finally snaps and says something assholey, although not without merit. Perhaps she should figure out what her diagnosis is and get treatment for it. She clearly has unresolved trauma and would be a happier person if she dealt with it. She knows this is her moment because now she can claim moral superiority. She stands abruptly. I don't have to tolerate you speaking to me that way. If you don't want to be with me, don't marry me. And then she makes her grand exit. I thought that would be the end and I was really happy because at least he would be free of the monster. But she touched a nerve, and since he's genuinely said something stupid, he can now decide that if he only doesn't do that thing again, their relationship will go back to the good old pod days. It's so fucking typical of an abusive relationship. The next episode opens with him apologizing to her, and I'm like, I can't. So I haven't finished the episode. Gavin used to do that to me. It was so confusing, too, because you're being vulnerable, you know? You're trying to explain why you feel sad to the person you love. It's hard to tell someone you love that they've hurt you. Well, it's hard if you're not a butt-face. It seems to me like it's always the wrong people saying it. 
Like, it should be Gail saying it to Richard, but it's the other round way around instead. It should have been me saying it to Gavin, but instead he made me feel insensitive. And clearly Zenob is in the wrong here. If she weren't so fucking... What is it? I'll have to ask Mommy. I don't know if she's insecure or lacks empathy or she's just willfully ignorant. Sometimes I think that willful ignorance is the worst sin of them all. The trouble really is that we have a hard time, us humans, comprehending the world as it exists outside of ourselves. Even the empaths have trouble. We assume everyone else is empathetic, just like us. So we project our things onto people. When we're kind, we see kindness. When we're mean, we see meanness. If we don't trust ourselves, we don't trust each other. So it's a recipe for disaster when all the young humans are told to go find the one person who will make them complete by age 25 or they're a failure. We don't even know what needs completing yet. That's the thing with Love is Blind. I can relate to those people. I mean, I would never in a million years go on the show, let's be clear. The producers wouldn't want me anyway. But it's just a bunch of people who think, I want love. I want magic. I want it to feel special. I want other people to see what I have and feel envy. Admit it, we all feel that way. These people just did it on camera. There's this cute ballerina on the show who causes all sorts of drama through absolutely no fault of her own. Or at least nothing we can see. Bear in mind I only know what the editors want me to know, so my psychoanalysis does have its limits. Her name is Colleen. She's a cutie, although I don't understand why everyone thinks she's the cutest. Seriously. But whatever, she's adorable, and the boys know it, so all the other girls get jealous. Except Alexa. She's a sweetie, and the only one I think may stand an actual shot on enjoying her marriage to Brennan, who is also seriously a nice guy. I wonder if they're going to say yes to each other. Anyway, poor Colleen. She gets rejected by her first two crushes, who then immediately repent when they see her live in person. It's pretty hilarious, because the whole premise of the show is, can you fall in love with somebody without knowing their physical appearance? And the answer seems to be, well, yes, but you will still really care about physical appearance once the social experiment is over. Undaunted, she continues on to the third crush, whom she insists was the one she wanted from the start. You gotta hand it to her. This girl is determined to find herself a husband. Oh, but the fiancé she has found is atrocious. He's never recovered from his high school sweetheart having jilted him, and so he is incredibly insecure. Yet another one who needs therapy. I think the moral of this story should just be, we all need therapy. Now it's worse, because he's fallen in love with Colleen, but Colleen is a bombshell, so he's convinced she'll leave him. So he's an absolute asshole to her. Poor Colleen. I really hope one of them says no. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing her up is because she said something on the show that really resonated with me. She said, shouldn't love be enough? Oh, that question. She asked it forlornly because they were fighting, and they've only been together three weeks, and it doesn't feel good, but she knows she loves him, so shouldn't that be enough? Because the thing is, when you know, you know. True love is true love. So shouldn't it be enough? Well, Colleen, not that you'll ever read this, but here's my answer. I've learned the hard way that the answer is no. Love is not enough. Because with love you also need respect, boundaries, wisdom, and humility. Love on its own ain't worth shit. Worse, without respect, boundaries, wisdom, and humility, love can do all sorts of bullshit to your soul. Okay, I guess it helped to write that because I decided I could stomach some more of the episode. It's good to draw it out anyway because they're leaving us in suspense for the finale until next week. Outrageous, Netflix. This, episode 9, I think, is the bachelor-slash-bachelorette party episode. Raven's reaction to the strippers is the first time I've ever liked her. 
No offense to the strippers. They can definitely put their balls in my face. But the fact that she says she doesn't need their dicks and she misses her fiancé gives me hope that her friends are wrong and maybe she won't break SK's heart. Sweet SK. Poor SK, who just wants to get his degree and provide for a wonderful woman, and has decided that Raven is that woman, even though Raven clearly isn't that woman. The show seems to be divided half and half between hopeless romantics and narcissistic assholes. And exactly true to life, for some reason they almost always end up with the wrong ones. It's comical watching them all trying so hard to hold up their own narratives. Everybody wants to be the couple. Everybody wants to be it. And nobody is. If only they could appreciate each other for what they actually are and stop trying to make each other what they aren't. Oh, but I understand. I have been there. I've posed as the it couple many times and it's pretty much never been true. Not in the way we were pretending to have it be either, anyway. I mean, it's impossible, that's the thing. Anyone with half a brain understands that you cannot find absolutely everything you want and need inside one person. You have to be wise enough to recognize when the person is right because of who they actually are, and be prepared to meet other needs elsewhere with respect and love, says the woman with a billion breakups, one divorce, one impending divorce, a boyfriend who forgot to tell her he was coming back to town, and a mommy. Whatever. I'm happier now than I've ever been, and I've learned a fuck-ton about love. I've learned about friendship, too. That if we stop making one person into something they're not, then we can appreciate many people for everything they are. Maybe one day I'll want more, and if that happens, then hopefully I'll find it. But for now, I'm pretty content to love the people who love me back when it is healthy, happy, and fun. I can't believe Etienne is actually in Montreal right now as we speak. Eek. Love. Baby girl.